0: good morning good afternoon good evening or whenever you are joining me and tuning in to hear about one of the greatest hobbies in the world i am your host zachary anderson and this is your turn the podcast where i talk about board games game mechanics and other nerdy culture things for all of my returning listeners welcome back and to those of you tuning in for the first time welcome and please enjoy the episode In this episode, I will be discussing a genre and mechanism used within games that both creates anxiety and exhilaration within players. I will also be sharing my thoughts and feelings about two games I've enjoyed over the years. One has been a staple within my collection and contains one of my favorite board game mechanisms, while the other I have only played a small number of times, but is always incredible as we silently scream across the table. So once again, thank you for joining me, and let's get to our topics. The board game jargon, or mechanism, I'd like to talk about today is real-time games. The definition of a real-time game is a game that simply has no turns. Players play as quickly as possible, subject to certain constraints, until the game or phase is completed. That's it. In real-time games players have to think on their feet and be prepared to take different opportunities as they arise. You may have a plan set in your mind of exactly what you want to do, but this can quickly be flipped upside down as another player moves faster and throws a wrench into your scheme. Because of this high octane gameplay, players must not only be constantly reading the game board and the avenues being open to them, but they must also keep their attention on their opponents, and try to gauge what is going on in their minds as you both vie for the same resources or cards. There's a small collection of cooperative real-time games, which create a different sensation of staying on your toes. Because in games like Captain Sonar, where each player is a different crew member on a submarine, all players have to be ready to shift at their captain's orders and also be ready to fire the torpedo they have been rushing to prepare for this exact moment. In space base, players are programming their actions during the real-time segment and must have a telepathic link with their teammates to ensure all dangers are averted and tasks are completed. Some real-time games are broken into two parts. The real-time phase, where players are rushing to secure their goals or their actions, and the resolution phase and in the resolution phase, you can see the crossing of fingers and praying to gods as players hope for the best outcome. In the game Galaxy Trucker, which I'm not a huge fan of, players scramble to throw together the best possible spaceship from random tiles during the first phase, and then must wish really hard in the resolution phase as a randomized deck of cards creates events that will tear your ship to shreds. I've only played the game once, and though my ship was held together by mostly glue and chicken wire, I hoped for the best, and then a meteor strike happened and about two-thirds of my ship was left floating in the void of space. It doesn't matter if I dotted my I's and crossed my T's, in real-time games, there's always an aspect of luck and hope. And then there is the chaos. Will we achieve our goals? Will we escape the temple? How am I supposed to get seven resources in two seconds? All while fighting off the ever-advancing horde of aliens that want to eat my face. And oh look, my gun just jammed. Well, you know what that means, I'm going to go take a long walk off a short pier. Because there is a constant threat of not having enough time, real-time games generate a constant flow of chaos and urgency. Hands dart across the board or table as players attempt to secure one tiny shred of their plan before someone snags it. Minds race and fingers blur as you try to solve the puzzle presented to you before the inevitable gong sounds and you are trapped forever in the amusement park of the madman, Jimmy. Even with this sense of chaos and panic, real-time games can be truly exciting and exhilarating. The rush of adrenaline can create feelings of joy and elation as your plan succeeds and you know it was all your own doing with a slight hint of luck. Time after time I've seen experienced players sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for the shoe to drop or the chimes to sound to show they have won. And even though my heart leapt from my chest as I waited for the alien armada to pass by my clunker of a spaceship, I knew that it was all a matter of luck and maybe a little bit of skill and I was ready for the next round. Real-time games come in all shapes and sizes. If you are someone who enjoys the thrill of working with other people to solve problems and try to escape a deadly trap or room before time runs out, I highly recommend you look into the Unlock or Exit game series. If you prefer mapping out your plan with cards you rushed for and hope you don't get pushed the wrong direction, I would recommend looking into Mechs vs. Minions. And finally, if you are like me and love the idea of buying collectible card game booster packs and building your collection but don't like the idea of spending real cash on it, I would suggest you look into the massively elaborate game Millennium Blades. This game generates the sensation of growing your Magic the Gathering collection or any collectible card game collection. Again, without having the risk of throwing hundreds upon hundreds of dollars at these cards, there are real time games out there for everyone. It may not be every single person's cup of tea, but I'm sure you can find your variation. The first game I would like to discuss is Ascension. This game was published by Stoneblade Entertainment, designed by John Fririo, Justin Gray, and Brian M. Kibler. The art was done by Eric Sabi. It was published in 2010. It plays between two and four players in about 30 to 45 minutes. A quick how to play. In order to set up the game each player should be given an identical starting deck consisting of eight apprentices and two militia. Each player will shuffle their decks, these ten cards, and draw five as their starting hand. One player should take the heavy infantry and mystic cards and create two separate piles for players to purchase from. They should also place the cultist towards the top of the play area so all players can defeat him. All other cards will be shuffled together to form a center deck, and six cards should be drawn in the center of the play area. This will become the marketplace for all players to buy cards and kill monsters. Lastly, place the honor tokens or victory tokens within reach of all players, with the number available being equal to 30 times the number of players. Now it is time to begin by randomly selecting a player to go first. On their turn, a player will play cards from their hands by placing them face up in front of them to obtain runes, as denoted by a white triangle, and power, which is denoted by a red circle. Cards can also give honor, which is a black star, and I usually refer to it as victory points. The player will use the runes and power they have gained this turn to buy cards from the center row, by paying the rune cost shown in the top right corner of the card in a white triangle, or they can defeat monsters by spending power equal to the number in the red circle at the top right of the monster's card. Buying new cards will help grow your deck and give you better options for future turns, while defeating monsters often give you honor points and a special bonus. At the end of your turn, all new cards purchased, cards played, and cards remaining in your hand are moved to your discard pile, while defeated monsters are moved to a communal discard pile beside the center row. The player will now draw 5 more cards from their personal deck, shuffling their discard pile if they are out of cards, and play passes to the next player. The game ends when a threshold of honor points has been achieved. The 30 per player number set aside at the beginning has been exhausted, and the round is finished out so that all players can have an equal number of turns. Players then tally up honor or victory points by counting tokens they have acquired and any points given by cards purchased. The player with the highest score wins. Put very simply, Ascension is a deck builder, which I've discussed previously, and it is a rather simple deck builder. While there are some deck building games in which you have to keep your eye on multiple piles of cards, balance your cards with moving within a dungeon, or even make sure you are discarding your cards in a perfect order, When playing Ascension, or at least base game Ascension, the player simply draws cards, plays cards, buys cards, and kills monsters. Card text and abilities are easy to understand, and the overall symbology used does not obstruct gameplay. Like other deck builders that use the single marketplace mechanism, there is an element of randomness, as players are not entirely sure what will be available to purchase or slay on their turn. And though they may have a general idea of what they want to accomplish, as you play with more people, the frequency of cards you want being taken rises. And I swear, Sarah, if you take the card I had my eye on for the fourth round in a row, I will never forgive you. Well, until tomorrow, because I'm not going to hold a grudge over a game. One of the greatest attributes of any game in which you are building a deck as you play is finding cards that work together and can be used to construct an elegant strategy to score points. In Ascension, the purchasable cards come in four different factions. Void, Lifebound, Enlightened, and Makana. Each of these factions give a different strategy. For example, the Void cards often let players remove cards from their deck, which allow them to get rid of useless cards while the Makana faction is filled with constructs that once played stay in your play area to give constant bonuses turn after turn. Learning how to combine these factions and utilize each of their strengths in unison creates a relentless machine, drawing extra cards each turn as your buying and slaying power increases drastically, preparing your hand to wipe the board of all monsters, while also culling your deck of useless cards. When playing this game either in person or online, I have laughed out loud as I look at my newest hand and realize that I am unstoppable and then I lose. Overall, this game is pretty quick and though the honor or victory points may seem hard to come by in the first few rounds, the pace of the game quickly leaps forward and in the blink of an eye, the game is over. There was one evening, during which I was playing Ascension with three other people, teaching them, actually, everyone kept joking that I was going to win because I knew the game, and if you have ever been given the chance to teach someone a game, you will know this feeling. For the first few rounds, I was indeed doing well, though my plans continually had to adapt and change as cards I wanted for my deck were taken, and I had to resort to plan C. But just as I was getting my plan in motion, I had a few Void and Lifebound cards and was ready to start purchasing the incredibly powerful cards on the board. I glanced down the honor point pile and realized there was only a few points left. My fellow players had quickly picked up on the rules and strategies and blitzed through turn after turn. They played cards, bought cards, killed monsters, discarded, redrew. It is mind-boggling just how quickly turns can go within this game. That being said, I have also played with individuals who felt the need to read every single card, every single round, even if they already knew what the card did. And though this can be frustrating, it is important to remember, my turn is next. That's when the magic happens. I've talked about buying cards and how they can build upon one another to allow an immense amount of points, but those points normally come at the end. During the game, the majority of the points that you will earn comes from killing monsters. There's always the cultist to kill, and he'll give you a single point. But strangely, he never dies and is never discarded. Which has led me to saying that you don't actually kill him, but simply smack him in the face as you run by. But within the massive deck of cards, there are dragons, spiders, demons, and other grotesque beings to vanquish. Upon killing these beings, players are awarded with certain bonuses such as drawing new cards or discarding cards. And my personal favorite bonus actually comes from the first expansion, Return of the Fallen. In this expansion, they had the Devil of Ascension, Samael the Fallen, and he has the most amazing monster reward that I have sadly never been able to pull off in a game. If you are able to kill Samael, which is difficult, he takes 8 power to defeat. He does not get discarded. He's instead placed in front of you, and for the rest of the game, any monsters that you kill are added to your deck and act as playable cards. I've been able to defeat him quite a few times and gained his special power, but it is always right at the end of the game and therefore never gets a chance to fill my deck with monsters. But I still love him, even if he's trying to destroy this fictional world. Expansions add variety to games. They add new mechanisms, they... Fix problems, they add new cards. With Ascension, the expansions do all of this and more. At the time of recording, there are 13 expansions, and each one adds more cards and mechanisms. I've not played all of them, but I know there is one expansion that adds a day and a night cycle, which can generate special effects on cards, while another expansion adds a third resource which is used to transform cards into special uber cards. And another expansion gives each player a hero from a certain faction that yet again gives them more actions and a fancy card to bolster their deck, as well as giving them a focus from the very start of the game. But I do have a slight problem with all of the expansions. If you are going to play this game, it would be sheer insanity to combine all expansions together. As with such a monstrous deck of cards available, a player would rarely ever see the cards they desire come up at the same time. The marketplace deck would be so diluted by cards that the randomness and luck factor would skyrocket and players would be fortunate to get the cards they want. But to be honest, I would love to experience a single game at some point in my life Where I do use every single expansion at once. But then again, I tend to like a little bit of insanity. I love deck building games. And though Ascension may not be the first I ever played, it has surely become the deck builder I have played the most. With a fabulous digital version, it is simple to load up and play a quick game against the AI in the span of 10 to 15 minutes. In the past, I have heard people talk about the artwork for this game and how it subpar, or how the game is too simple or random, and this can, at times, be aggravating. But I would say that Ascension is a solid game, and does exactly what it set out to do. And you know what, I think it does well. The theme may not jump off the cards and grab you, but if you are looking for a fun deck builder that doesn't take up too much time or table space, without the expansions of course, I would say Ascension is a great game to bring to the table. I think you should try it out. The second game I would like to discuss is Magic Maze. This game was published by Sit Down. Designed by Casper Lapp. Art was done by Geome. It was published in 2017. It plays between 1 and 8 players in about 15 minutes. A quick overview of how to play. In order to set up, players will first choose which scenario they would like to play. The base game has 17 scenarios available. Following the scenario rules, players will set up the mall Tiles deck, normally face down, and place the starting tile, normally tile 1, in the middle of the table for all players to see, with the 4 hero pawns randomly placed in the center of said tile. Normally, the goal of the game is for each pawn, there are four of them, to find a specific item and then exit the mall before time runs out. Set the Theft tile and the Out of Order tokens off to the side, as these will be used in different scenarios and situations to close off portals and avenues of movement. One player should take the Action tiles corresponding to the number of players, mix them up as much as possible, and give each player a tile. Action tiles must be face up for all players to see, and placed in a way that all north arrows are pointing the same direction. Players may talk and plan during the setup, but once the sand timer is flipped and the game has begun, all talking must cease. As this is a real-time game, there are no turns and everyone plays at the same time, using their individual powers. Players may only use the powers that they were given at the start of the game. These powers include moving in specific direction any number of spaces in a straight line, using a vortex or a portal to jump from one location to the next, as long as the portals are available, taking the escalator to get to a different floor of the mall, and exploring the mall and adding new tiles from the tile deck. Again, each hero. The dwarf, the elf, the barbarian and the mage, all looking for their color-coded items and exits. Players must use their actions in a telepathic link to lead their heroes through the mall to their color-coded items, which they steal, and flee to the correct color-coded door. If the sand timer runs out, the players lose. But there are single-use sand timer spaces which allow you to flip the sand timer over and hopefully allow you victory. If players are able to help their heroes escape before time runs out, they win and can move on to the next scenario. But beware, they do get harder as the numbers increase. No, no, don't go that way. We need the elf to go up the stairs. Why is the barbarian standing in the corner? Whose job is it to expand the map? Magic maze can quickly become pure chaos. With all players in control of all the pawns, if communication is now the forefront of all players' minds, the game can quickly spiral into pawns moving randomly as the timer ticks closer to defeat. I've not played many real-time games, but those I have often have a balance of chaos and order. What sets Magic Maze apart from the rest is the fact that in this game, we all have to work together controlling the same characters on an ever-growing map. The coordination and cooperation must be top-notch in order to win. All games have some sort of goal for their players. Whether that is destroy your opponent in a war game, take jobs and send workers and worker placements, or even face off in the arena with your opponent as you flick discs at each other. But Magic Maze is the first game I have ever played where the goal is to shoplift a collection of items. Four heroes go into the mall, knowing exactly what items they need, but having no idea where to find them, so they wander sporadically for X amount of time before they find it and dash to freedom. This is strange, to be sure, and also makes the characters sound as coordinated as a bag of rocks, though this might speak more about the players than the pawns. Luckily, the theme does not constantly jump off the game board of the players, but the hustle and bustle of players can generate the urgency and panic a person might feel if they were shoplifting. I honestly have no idea, as I've never stolen anything in my life, and I would probably be pretty terrible at it, as I have no poker face, and my agility score is next to nothing. I guess my... Chances of creating a legacy as the world's greatest mall thief is over before it started. Seems like I'm going to have to keep being a history teacher. As I said, communication is crucial in this game. And the designer knew it. Which is why they threw in a rule that causes nearly all communication to shut down. The fact that during the game, while the sand timer is going, you are not allowed to speak or verbally communicate in any ways. And yes, that includes grunting. For anyone that knows me, you will know this is incredibly difficult for me because I love to talk. Heck, I'm a teacher, and in a way, I kind of get paid to talk. The people I have played this game with primarily are teachers as well, and hilarity ensues as the timer begins and we are forced to communicate by staring at each other and sending telepathic messages about what to do, which rarely work. But fear not, dear listener. The designer has graced us with the Do Something Pawn, a large red pawn that can be placed in front of a player by someone else to indicate the desire for them to do something. I've seen this pawn gingerly moved around the table, but I've also seen the pawn slammed down in rapid succession as the entire team wants one player to move the yellow pawn out of the way so the green pawn can get to the exit. I've actually had the do-something pawn tossed at me or thrown at me and accompanied by a fury-filled gaze by my friends only for me to stare at the board and have no idea what to do. This do-something pawn can both help and hurt communication. But no matter what, it can lead to laughter at the end of the game as players discuss what they meant with the pawn. In my brief explanation of how to play, I mentioned that before starting, players will choose a scenario to attempt. And Magic Maze does a wonderful job gradually introducing new mechanisms and complexities as you move through scenarios. With the first scenario, you are only controlling one character, and only have to worry about getting their item and making it to an exit. Then, the game introduces the other characters, and color-coded doors. You are eventually given the mechanism of special powers per character, and being able to zip around them all in different ways. But the game never feels like it's forcing these changes on you, and they do not feel overwhelming. Players are welcomed and recommended to play scenarios multiple times until they feel comfortable with the gears at play, and then challenge themselves to go faster or to try adding to a new layer of complexity. All too often, in games, it feels like as soon as you open the box, every trick in the book and the kitchen sink are thrown at you, and players are forced to learn it all or sink and lose. But Magic Maze offers a hand and guides its players until they are ready to take on the dreaded Challenge 17 or make up their own crazy scenarios. Normally I try to focus on the positives about a game and can ignore the negative things, but I need to say something rather quickly about Magic Maze. This game is stressful and can cause pretty intense anxiety as you are worried you are missing an obvious move. Or you're raging inside as Jason keeps skipping over the elf pawn that you have needed move for the last two minutes. The board gets crowded. And unlike other games that are crowded with minis or cubes, this game is crowded by the players who tend to get really close to the game board and stare with burning intent in their eyes. Flashing hands and moving pawns can make a player disoriented or flustered as they try to make a move only for their move to be undone. And then the do-something pawn is tossed at them as their teammates turn their eyes towards them, and they got no idea what to do. Having said all this, it is very fortunate this game is so short, playing in less than 15 minutes and giving players the opportunity to relax and rest and debrief. In my experiences, games this short tend to feel like they go by in a flash. But for some strange twist of time, Magic Maze creates an alternate dimension with the sensation that time is speeding by at lightning speed, but also slowly trudging by like molasses. Magic Maze may not be perfect, but it can be a wonderful game to bring to the table as a game night starter, or even as a quick activity to play with family or friends. If you are playing with people who have never played before, I recommend starting with the first scenario, but if you are playing with experienced maze runners, give the higher scenarios a chance. And let me know how far y'all through the do-something pod. The strongest piece of advice I can give you is to not get frustrated, it's just a game. It'll be over in the blink of an eye. So think happy thoughts, and for the love of Cthulhu, move faster! But here we are folks, another end to another episode. These two games, Ascension and Magic Maze, are drastically different from one another, but when connected to the right group and audience, they can sing. They may not be the top of everyone's list, but they still deserve attention and love for what they do and the joy they bring. Whether you're plotting out your next card purchase or frantically slamming the do something pawn on the table, these games can lead to smiling and laughter. If you give them a chance. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to like this episode and listen to others. Leave me comments and reviews. I would love to hear from you. You can also check out pictures and updates I post over on my Instagram at z.a.underscore your turn. While there, feel free to drop me a line and let me know what games you have been playing or are interested in hearing about. It has been a pleasure talking about these amazing games with you, and I'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. As always, I've been your host, Zachary Anderson, and this has been your turn. And now it is your turn to play some games and have some fun. Be safe. Have a good one, y'all.